The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And I'm Max George. Are you ready to meet Peach Fuzz, the friendly wolf? Yay, Peach Fuzz! Yeah, let's let's do the, the Peach Fuzz dance there. No, um, hard pass. I have to welcome our special first guest. Everyone meet Lindsay Stark, House of Stark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Hello. She has graciously offered to be our guest this eighth episode, and we are very excited to have her. Very excited to be here. Yeah, you have the honor of being our very first guest ever, so um, pretty cool stuff. I have to say, nothing makes me feel more official as a podcast as as actually having a guest, so thank you, Lindsay. (laughs) Uh, You know, I do what I can to support the spooky so support the spooky i like that we need to make that a hashtag <laughs> i do like that it's catchy yeah we'll, we'll use that hashtag when we upload this episode i love it um before we get going into this eighth amazing podcast we do have to apologize to all our wonderful listeners out there because we've kind of hit some bumps on our podcast journey, and those bumps are called annual subscription fees for damn podcast hosting. Yeah, it's kind of killed things, and yeah, our last host, as we mentioned in our previous episode, kind of ran out of free space, so yeah, we're getting that all figured out. We should be hopefully back uh, back in the game very, very soon. Um I mean, once this goes up, we'll be back in the game. So there's that. (laughs) Yes. So please expect much more content from us. We've found an excellent hosting site that will allow us to upload, hopefully, unlimitedly. So we shouldn't keep running into this issue. And maybe if all you listeners would just donate to us, we wouldn't have these problems. But you don't. So that's on you. But, I mean, we we really haven't found a way to facilitate that. So maybe on us. Uh, No. I want free money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> just slip free money out of the door yes just just scream i want to give you money into the void and we'll know and somehow accept it well well before we spiral too far off let's maybe let our guest introduce herself a little bit um or i guess maybe maybe you could just talk about why she's on the podcast since uh who knew her first so yeah absolutely um so i've been working at a pharmaceutical research company for about six months now and all of my wonderful coworkers are awesome and great, but Lindsay in particular had a cubicle filled with awesome anime stuff and horror stuff and all these wonderful, wonderful spooky things. And so I was like, hey, do you like horror movies? And she was like, yeah, I do. And then like four hours later, we had a great conversation about every horror movie that we've ever seen. My favorite part was going to Netflix and saying the ones that we liked and didn't like. Yeah, that was probably my favorite work moment up to this point. Which I have watched some of those movies now, so thank you. 
And I have watched some of yours that you gave to me. Good. Good. So just a wonderful horror relationship butted out of nowhere. And I told her that I had a podcast and she's even listened to a few of our episodes, which is awesome. Um, she doesn't hate us. So that's even better. And <laughs> it's just been really great to have someone who you work with who enjoys something as much as you do. You know, typically you don't find horror fanatics just out and about walking around downtown Salt Lake. So it's, it's nice. We're, we're a rare breed, I find. Yes. And when people say that they are horror fans, I feel like a lot of times they don't really understand. Like, they like The Ring, or The Sixth Sense, or they've seen The Exorcist once growing up. But yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're not true horror fans. Yeah. And then they, I get the weird looks when I tell people one of my goals in life is to watch every scary movie ever made. So, that is a wonderful goal. <laughs> then, then the conversation usually goes a different route. <laughs> I could definitely relate to that. You know, I write horror as well, and so when I say, hey, I'm a horror writer, people are, but you're happy and not, like, <laughs> you know, dressed in all black and hiding in the corner. <laughs> I've been there as well, Nathaniel. I'm a very cheery person, so when people think find out that like I watch a horror movie once a day, they're like, what? You do? <laughs> hey, so. you, you all have to have your things, you know. It's true. Let's kill those stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, we, we, we are finding our people with this podcast and this wonderful guest. So, hey, let's, let's dig in. Um, so I guess just if you want to maybe just share, you know, how you got into the horror genre, um, that would be awesome. We're just, that way our audience can learn a little bit about you. And yeah. Lindsay, I'd also love to hear about, I know you had a podcast in the past. You've got panels at Comic-Con. Like, give us a broader picture of what you do and kind of the nerd fandom community out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd say in general, I'm just a big fan of anything taboo, I guess. <laughs> you know, I... I collect weird oddities and articulated skeletons. I I love horror. I'm, of course, one of those weirdos that loves all the true true crime podcasts and serial and all that. Um, and I love anime, so let's get weird there, too. And uh, that's the podcast that uh, I did with my siblings and uh, the panels at Comic-Con. We uh, do anime reviews. Um, which, of course, my favorite anime are scary anime, also, because the Japanese are crazy. Do you have a favorite anime, just off the top of your head, that you can think of? An amazing scary anime is one called Another. It's... Oh. Like I said, the Japanese are just crazy, and so... <laughs> it's, I feel it's... like their sensor is a lot less regulated than the American. <laughs> oh yeah and it's, and, and it's just a very different cultural bent which i like oh yeah they i think they're just they shy away from some things but violence is not one of them so yeah i would i would check that one out it's it's great especially if you love horror and want to dive into some anime um but yeah i think i got mostly hooked on horror because uh growing up we owned one scary movie on VHS, and that was Poltergeist. And it was always 
the thing to never watch that movie because it'll give you nightmares. And so it was like that forbidden fruit that finally one day I was able to go watch Poltergeist on VHS and from then on I was just hooked. I loved I loved just the creepiness of it. I loved the story. I I don't know, it was like my gateway drug into scary movies. Um, and yeah, since then I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole. Um, just like I said, I, I'm not an academic in the field, but I am definitely a, a super fan. So um, yeah, I'd say that, that's the pivotal way that I got into horror. Um, and then, yeah, I just digest a lot of it. Well, and along the lines of, of digesting a lot of it, what, what is your favorite uh, horror movie? Or just or a couple of, of your all you know top picks. So cool, of course, Poltergeist again. Just you know, your first is always your favorite, I would think. <laughs> um, but then I I love The Shining. I think that script and that movie is just incredibly scary, as well as being a beautiful film. Um, I love Silence of the Lambs, which I loved your guys' podcast or your episode on it. Because I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd say a more recent one, recent-ish, I love Let the Right One In. I think it's the best, I guess, vampire uh, film that's come out in a really, really long time. Um, yeah, and I guess I can just kind of go go from there. I, I have so many. But those are the big ones. Nathaniel, you've seen Let the Right One In, haven't you? Uh, I've actually only seen the American remake. I it's like at the very top of my list to watch. So okay, I haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but good stuff about it. So I have to check it out. Oh, it's it's fantastic and it's scary and it's uh, it's just everything I would want in a in a horror film. So definitely check it out. Awesome. Um, so what would you say your like your favorite scariest horror movies? You know, there's a difference between good horror and scary horror. So, uh, I feel so jaded now because I've watched so many. It takes a lot to scare me at this point. Uh, we've had um, that exact same conversation <laughs> multiple times. Yeah, I don't, like, it's hard to say I, maybe I'm a little desensitized. So, if something really scares me, that's an A-plus movie. Um, I'd say, I don't know why it hit me so bad or really freaked me out but the the first sinister Ooh, did not good, nathaniel didn't like that one either yeah it's just was it was too real and weird like sleeping with a light on at night after i watched that movie i, can I see that. yeah that that one got me yeah there's a definite sense of wrongness that kind of pervaded after watching it yeah yeah just Nope. I'm good seeing that one once. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is terrible. So. <laughs> yeah, again, sequels. Or, yeah. Like I talked about before, but um, yeah, horror sequels have a hard time, and I have to agree that one didn't really scare me as much. But. All right. Well, I guess speaking of horror sequels, so today we're actually going to cover two movies, um, Creep and Creep 2, uh, both directed by Patrick Bryce and uh, written uh, and directed or I guess and written by both Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass um, and 
they were also the stars of the first film. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk both movies today and, and kind of get into uh, what worked, what didn't work, and, and then also yeah, kind of talk about what makes horror sequels successful and why are so many of them so terrible. So, um, I guess, Max, do you want to kick us off just on a brief summary of the first film? Yeah. Um, so something that I really think is fascinating with the Creep movies is it's incredibly simple. You know, there, there are not a lot of people in the movies. It's, I mean, the first one you see two people, um, Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass. And Patrick Bryce plays Aaron. Mark Duplass plays a guy named Joseph. And kind of a, the summary of the movie itself is Patrick Bryce's character, Aaron, um, is responding to like a Craigslist ad or something of the sort about a guy who... Joseph, who is, tells people that he has cancer. And so he has this loving wife and this um, son on the way, and he wants to create kind of this bibliography documentary for his unborn son so that if he does pass away from the cancer, his son will kind of have this video to remember him by, so to say. Um, and so Aaron arrives at the house, and Joseph's actually not there. And he's like, well, what the hell's going on kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden, Joseph's there out of the blue. And from that moment on, things just kind of start going downhill. And it's a really great movie because it kind of makes you feel sympathetic for this Joseph character. But at the same time, he's just kind of really odd and really creepy, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, and then as the movie progresses on, you just completely realize that this guy is a psychopath, a serial killer, stalker kind of a person, but you can't stop it. And that's one of the best things I think about the movie. Do you want to go, Nathaniel, or even Lindsay, into a few of the things that Joseph does that kind of really get under your skin and creep you out? Well, there's Peach Fuzz. Um... Peach Fuzz! <laughs> what? I love Peach Fuzz. That would not be creepy at all. <laughs> not at all. So I guess to, to clarify for those who haven't seen it, and you really should just you know pause the episode and go watch them. They're both on Netflix. And again, um, we're going to throw spoilers out left and right. So if you don't want to be spoiled, get out of the way. Yeah, but, but so Peach Fuzz is the name of this character um, that he at first claims was... Uh, a character that his his dad created, um, and it's this like creepy kind of uh, furry esque uh, wolf mask um, that you know he has like this like happy dance for for Peach Fuzz the friendly wolf, and that's just you know one of the things that just is unnerving, um, and then as the film progresses, you know he. Joseph then, you know, says, oh, you know, I lied earlier about Peach Fuzz being uh, a thing that my dad did. You know, it, it's actually, um, you know, I, I got this, that mask and I, um, you know, like, but my sex life was in the toilet with my wife. And so I actually just went and bought that mask and to mix things up, I just, you know, basically like raped my wife and with wearing that that mask and and you know suddenly our sex life was was great after that so both you know unsettling to say the least <laughs> well and i think a, an aspect of what makes him so creepy is that he shares 
such personal information, you know, with this guy. I mean, if I was with someone, even that I knew a little bit, and that started coming out, like, all right, I got to get something from the car, and I would be out of there. So I, yeah. I think that that adds to the creep factor. And even really before that sex story with Peach Fuzz, Mark Duplass's character really... Um, gets under your skin not because of these like super intense scary moments but he has like one of the very first video scenes that um aaron does is mark Duplass's character joseph strips naked and gets in the tub and has tubby time and he says it was something that his father used to do to him and so he wants to pass it on to his kid and the whole time you're just like scrunched up like this is so awkward and creepy get out of there aaron get out of there and then it kind of develops into this relationship that they start with, you know, Joseph telling these intimate details of his life and wanting to know, like, the most embarrassing moment of Aaron's life. And this this exchange that's just so uncomfortable and you can feel it watching this movie and then all of a sudden just it loses control and it gets crazy. Yeah, so basically he doesn't let Aaron leave that evening. You know, he, he says, oh, well, you know, thanks for, you know, the, the job. I'll, you know, send the, the DVD over in a couple of days. Like, you know, everything should be good. And he's like, no, like, like stay and drink with me. And he's like, no, and, you know, I have a long drive back. Um, but, you know, he basically forces him to drink with him and then, like, ends up chasing him around the house um, and, you know, has, has hidden his keys and, and just it just is not letting him leave, which is disconcerting to say the least and then from there uh you know when when aaron finally does successfully leave then we have some parts film where he is you know at his own home uh joseph keeps leaving like presents or mailing him things like a, a little like stuffed wolf doll that when cut open has uh, a locket uh with their pictures in it all sorts of fun, unnerving things, just, you know, and, and a video of, of him apologizing for freaking him out and just keeps getting weirder and weirder. And it kind of builds to the moment where um, Joseph's character sends him this tape and it's just completely apologetic of, oh my gosh, you know, I, I got these all of these mental issues that I've been dealing with all my life and... I really feel bad for all the crazy things I did, and I appreciate your friendship and everything you've done for me, and kind of sticking around even though I've done all these terrible, horrible, psychotic things to you. Will you please meet me at the park? And then, you know, never meet anyone at the park who sends you anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> no. Good rule of thumb. Good, good rule of thumb. I mean, I would have been out with Tubby time. I see that. I'm, I'm out. Peace and out. <laughs> he drops no trow, and then you're gone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Lindsay, was there anything to the plot that you wanted to add that we may have kind of missed there? Um, I mean, one thing that I did find super well, I guess not creepy, but I like how they played it out was. Um, when he was trying to leave that night and he does, he like drugs him with Benadryl or something to try and find the keys that he had, he had hidden and, uh, he gets the phone call or he picks up the phone call 
that was supposedly from the wife, but it was really Joseph's sister. And she's like, oh my God, you know, you need to get out of there. And it's, I just, I love that scene because then it's like, okay, it, you felt bad for the guy. They went on these hikes. They did all this stuff. He stuck around, you know, just out of more of a sympathetic, like, need to. And then it's like, boom, horror movie starts. This guy's crazy. You got to get out of the house. But I, props to them for putting that in. I think it's a, it was a good turning point for me. Yeah. I, and, and just to kind of build off of that, I, I like how it, uh, that scene kind of makes you question everything you know it, okay is that rape story still true or not is you know it, yeah did he rape his sister or is it just you know is this i don't know, just there, there's so many questions that you start immediately going through and like realizing kind of layer upon layer like is this all a fabrication um how much is the truth and and it really just sets everything for me it, it just made everything so confusing and disorienting in a very terrifying way it was one of those kind of classic horror movie oh shit moments where yeah. you kind of are like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. Those characters have those revelations. And I really think one of my favorite parts about this entire movie was the acting that these two gentlemen did because it was so convincing and it was so uncomfortable and really terrifying in its own right without, you know, devil eyes or demons possessing or blood and gore. It was just this interaction between these two that was really, really scary. Yeah, and just real, which makes it so scary. It's it's something you could place yourself into as opposed to crazier horror, um, which, it, again, kind of more psychological horror in a way. Real, I like that that description. You know, this is something that could actually happen, and you know, we we read about creepier and scarier things that happen. You know, that family out in California who imprisoned all of their kids with you know shackles. You know, this kind of stuff happens, and that's the real horror that they really were able to portray quite well. I thought. And one one cool thing I found out about that too, again keeping it in there, they kept this really inexpensive. Uh, the woman on the phone that he's talking to is actually Mark Duplass's wife, so. it's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, don't spend the budget on actors. <laughs> yes, budget. That's a whole nother horror conversation that we could have. Yes. <laughs> um, let's kind of pick apart the movie a little bit more and kind of talk about our favorite parts, scariest parts, and maybe least favorite part or part we would want to fix or change a little bit. I guess maybe before we do that, should we just say how it ends? Because we kind of went, led up to the, uh, him meeting him in the park, but not actually what he does to him in the park. That's true. Yeah. Go ahead, Nathaniel. Spoil okay. it for everybody. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about the sequel too, so it's probably <laughs> relevant to say the least. Um, so basically, Aaron goes into the park. He's just sitting and waiting. Uh, and then you see... And this is all just being filmed, uh, you know, from from behind, from a, a little bit of a distance away. And then you see uh, Peach Fuzz, uh, the, or, you know, Joseph in the Peach Fuzz mask, and a big trench coat slowly approaching. And then he pulls out an axe and just hits him right in the head. And then it ends, and then it, you know, kind of zooms out to, you know, him... Uh, Joseph watching this tape and saying like, Oh, like Aaron, like I love you. You'll always be my, or 
you'll always be my favorite. And then he puts the tape with, uh, you know, probably 30 other tapes of presumably other victims. Ugh, it's terrifying, that scene. But it's such a good ending. Like, And it really does set it up for a sequel in its own way. But I, for one, I love that ending. Well, that sounds really strange. I love that he got chopped in the head. But... <laughs> <laughs> You're with just, your people, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But it was, it was, it was a good ending. I, I, I could have had it at that. But to add the into the end that he's, you know, an actual serial killer, I think was a good, good addition. And a good serial killer at that, you know, being able to kind of incorporate these personalities and do it thirty times without getting caught—that's pretty impressive. Okay, so I guess now back to just other things that we liked about it. Who wants to go first? Let's do favorite parts probably first, if we're all in agreement. Sounds good. Yes. Okay. Your silence means agreement to me, so I'm going to go for it. Um, my favorite part is probably, I don't know, there's a lot of favorite parts. Um, I'm thinking more scarier moments, and I'm, they're kind of blurring together. So I will take my two scariest parts and put one of them as my favorite parts. How about that? You know... As much as I hate it, the little tubby time scene uh, uh, really, I think, set the precedence for the movie that it was just this creepy, raw, uncomfortable, just bizarre moment. I mean, it happens within the first 15 minutes of the movie, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? What am I watching? Um, and I, just the acting between the two characters, I just I thought it was really, really well executed and really kind of set the tone for the rest of the movie that this is going to be a creepy movie. We're going to be uncomfortable for, you know, the next hour or so. Probably my very favorite part was just a single little moment. Um, it's just when uh, Aaron is running, you know, through the house, just trying to get away from... You're taking my scariest part. Nathaniel, I hate maybe. You. <laughs> I don't know, just just yeah, kind of running away from uh, from Joseph after the whole drugging and you know drinking and all of that stuff that that happened, um, and he just runs um, over to a door and and there is Joseph wearing the peach fuzz mask and like he like rubs his like butt up against the the door in a like almost like strangely seductive way i guess and just like makes like very un or you know inhuman noises and oh just that scene got to me in both you know a terrifying way and also just like a wow like that really just drove home the intensity of the scene so well and at that point he knows he's in trouble too so it's just super anxiety and strangeness (laughs) i I forgot i kind of forgot about that (laughs) that's a good that's a good one what was your favorite? Um, you know, again, that's hard. I really like the whole movie. I I like really the, the whole middle where Aaron's, you know, he gets the DVD with Joseph just lugging what looks like a bag full of body parts and digging oh, a hole. This was and, great. Yeah, and um, just him getting the wolf and finding the locket and... I know I, that ten, that to me is the scariest part because it's he knows he's out there he knows he knows where he lives and he's getting all of this stuff is just the idea of terror to me so I'd say that that to me is the scariest. 
And also just the fact that he calls the cops and the cops basically don't do anything. I know. Exactly. I mean, what a feeling of kind of helplessness and kind of a juxtaposition because you don't hear a lot about male stalkers, you know, stalking men. It's it's mm-hmm. not something you see a lot. So, yeah, I would not want to be Aaron at that point. So good. Um, so I guess, is, is there a least favorite part uh, of the movie that, you know, maybe something that just didn't work for you as well? Um, do you want to go first, Lindsay, or? Yeah, um, I don't know how the whole, like, rape thing of his wife it, with the peach fuzz, really, I feel like that was a little forced, I guess, and kind of extreme, and I guess I can see it in a manner of making you feel unsettled and kind of showing you more in depth as to how off he is. But, I don't know, it, it just seemed like it was a little bit too drawn out and just didn't add a lot to the movie. And see, for me, I was a little confused because it almost really didn't feel like rape. You know, it kind of came across that she subtly knew what was going on and he, I don't know, I, I didn't, my rape alert didn't go off when he was kind of telling that story. More was kind of this bestial sex scene. And I, I agree, it was kind of, frivolous and kind of weird I, I don't know i agree for me one of my least favorite parts was actually what we just kind of talked about was that police you know it just didn't feel real it kind of felt like that horror movie trope of oh we tried to call the authorities and they can't do anything you know in a real life setting i, I think that the police would have done something would have come and looked at the information and, and kind of investigated a little bit i don't know i kind of felt like that was a uh, a missed opportunity to kind of make the movie a little bit more realistic in their approach of there's this crazy person who's doing stuff and giving me presents and whatnot and something needs to be done. Yeah, but again, that could kind of play into, like I said, the fact that a male stalking a male is is rarer, rarer I guess. Or- yeah, and, and when you said that, that kind of put a different spin on that point because that makes complete sense you know you never really hear about a male stalker stalking another male you know that's just not really a thing that you hear about and that point really kind of was like oh okay i kind of get that yeah this is why we have you on Lindsay. oh thank you (laughs) um should we go into the screams and the crowns for this lovely movie something that we are trying to follow up with on this podcast all right. Um, so screams again. It's just you know how scary the movie is. I gave it a seven out of ten. I gave it an eight, and I gave it a six. And and I feel like, and and so the average there is is seven, and you know it, it's it's definitely scary, but I'd say it's it's almost more unsettling than scary in in a lot of ways. So yeah, I'd say that's a a, a good average for uh, my uh, experience with the film. So. Yeah, I think Seven kind of portrays the overall film in its best as far as its scare factor goes. All right, Crowns, do you want to go first, Max? Um, I gave it a nine. I thought it was very well produced. I thought the acting was incredible. I thought, for the most part, the script was even really well written. Um, I loved how low budget it was. I loved how there were only two actors in it. Um, I, it's one of my favorite scary movies, honestly. It's it's a good movie to tell people if they're looking to find a horror movie. I think it does a really good job at 
kind of introducing someone into the horror genre, and I know that it's going to be a good movie that really anyone will enjoy, I think. Yeah, I, I also gave it a 9. It really resonated well, well with me. I it, It's one of the better examples of found footage, um, which is a genre that I also just have a... I, I probably love that, that genre or subgenre a little bit more than I ought to, but, <laughs> um, but this is definitely one of the best examples of that um, being done so well at, with so yeah minuscule of a budget and just yeah I, I am really impressed with the film yeah and I gave it a seven I think it, I just am a harsh reader um, I, I, I loved it as well though I am in love with Mark Duplass I think he's amazing and um, this was really my first exposure to him um, and you know, I, I thought Aaron did good to be kind of the non, or, you know, Patrick playing Aaron, the non, I don't know, just kind of bland person into put into this very strange situation. But at the same time, I think his acting was a little boring at times. Um, but again, maybe that's just a part of, of the character. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's one of the better found footage uh, films out there, and it could be a really good uh, gateway horror film for the newbies awesome awesome so that puts our average at 8.3 crowns i don't know how that would physically look uh having a 0.3 of a crown but hey there we go so um let's launch into creep 2 now uh creep 2 yeah i just have a lot of feelings about this movie i'm sorry Lindsay, i know that i think probably of the three of us you're the one who really uh enjoyed it the most so would you like to take uh, take uh, the the lead on uh, just giving us a plot summary? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Creep 2, sequel to Creep 1. Imagine that. Wait, what? <laughs> I know. I know. Getting very clever here. Um, but you have uh, um, Aaron, who was Joseph. So that's one thing that I loved about Creep 2 is basically... Uh, Joseph took on the name of Aaron, who he killed in the first film, um, which again raises this whole thing of, you know, does he do this every time? It makes you want to go back to that last scene and look at all, all of the movie cases to see if there's a Joseph in there that, you know, he had changed his name to before. Um, but anyway, I thought that was very clever, a uh, good thing to add and uh, bring from the first film. For the sake of clarity, can we keep his name Joseph? Just so that we're not confusing How about just people Peach listening. Fuzz. Peach Fuzz works. I can appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, it was actually the alternate title for the original film, so why not? It's true. I like. I love it. That'll be the next name for one of my chickens. <laughs> I own a lot of chickens. Um, yeah. <laughs> to so, say the least. <laughs> yeah. So um, the movie starts out with just this, just cold-hearted murder he's a serial killer it's what he does um and kind of leads into the fact that he's he is such a success successful serial killer that he's kind of he's getting bored with what he's doing and you know if, if he's getting bored then he doesn't really have a purpose so he hires a, a videographer uh to come and kind of do his autobiography um of his life and the videographer specifically is trying to do like YouTube videos 
um, just kind of like talking to, or just kind of like exploring unusual people, uh, the, like their lives and, and just kind of encounters with those people. I mean, who, who could be more interesting than a guy claiming to uh, be a serial killer? Exactly. And, um, yeah. So her name's Sarah. She goes up, of course, again into a, a cabin in the woods uh, where she meets Joseph, Aaron. Um, and basically the rest of the movie is just Joseph being very blatant that he's a serial killer and, he, and he's bored of being a serial killer and he wants to, you know, leave, leave the world, his, his story, and then, you know, as any good story, kill himself in the end. So, and, and man, many strange things ensue in this, this day of filming. And I think it's worth noting that Sarah does not believe him. Yes, even when she he shows her the video of him killing Aaron, it's still that, you know, you as the viewer know that he's a serial killer, but, you know, she puts herself into all these strange environments all the time. She's still very skeptical, skeptical and I think that's why throughout the film she kind of is able to stay on his weirdness level and just play along with what she thinks is just, you know, his weird story. So I guess, yeah, lots of uh, interesting events ensue and then um, basically he decides that she has kind of reignited the spark of, of his love for serial killing and so he tries to kill her, uh, but she fights back, and she successfully uh, survives his attack. And you see him, or see her sneak up on him with a shovel, and she hits him with it, and then takes off. And then uh, the movie cuts to her on a subway, being filmed presumably by him. Which, again, like they did with the first Creep, leaving it open to a sequel. <laughs> creep Which 3. Which they are planning, actually. that they, they want the Creep to be a trilogy, so the third one's actually in production right now. Oh, that's fantastic news. So, hopefully I like it more than I liked this one. I'm amazed you don't like it that much. I just, I, I thought the first one was just really tight. Um, and it was very well thought of, and I just, I kind of felt the second one, it was all over the place, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought the acting was great, and I thought the story was there. I just kind of felt like they were ping-ponging in three different directions, you know, with, um, Peach Fuzz's character, Joseph, wanting to be kind of rejuvenated in his serial killing, to he wanted her to kill him, to then him again trying to kill her. I just, I kind of felt like it was all over. Yeah, it, I did feel like I had a, a harder time following the emotional arc of the story. So hard to know if he was actually like being real or not, but in this, but this time it was almost like frustrating in, in a way. Uh, as a viewer, because I, I, I just didn't feel like I, I had a real clear idea of if he was ever telling the truth um, about, you know, wanting to 
for it to be over or not. And and I think having a, a clear idea of, of if that was sincere, that you know that he really did get interested in serial killing again, you know, midway through the movie, uh, or is this all just him playing her the whole time? I don't know. I, I just like the fact that I felt like I, so many things were unanswered for me uh, as a viewer just didn't really connect with me as much. Yeah, no, I just, I guess that's why I liked it, because to me, and why I think it's a successful sequel, is that Creep 1 was kind of the seeing what he does, and, you know, what his modus operandi is, and then Creep 2 is going into, you know, why he is the way that he is, you know, and I think it's really clever to have a story of, a serial killer who gets bored. You know, that, that's something I haven't seen before. And so I think it's interesting to see how him... Honestly, I think if Sarah's character, if she had not been as interesting and, like I said, kind of on his weirdness level, he probably would have just killed her as well and then just moved on. But the fact that she could kind of meet him, you know, again, meet him with his weirdness is what kind of moved it along and why it was kind of all over the place. I can see what you what you guys mean though by it. It was a little more discombobulated. It wasn't as um, formulaic, I guess, as the first one was. But maybe that's what adds to the anxiety of it when you're watching it. And again, I just love, I love Sarah's character. <laughs> I can get behind that. I, you know, I think that's a good point that you know, this serial killer, you know, it was almost like a look inside his brain through the cinematography that he was just so all over the place that um, it was kind of coming through with what he was doing with Sarah. Um, I think Sarah kind of was dumb and she had a lot of flags that she could have gotten out and she just kind of kept wanting to push it and push it and push it for the sake of her video or whatever. Um, out of her and Aaron, I think Aaron was the much smarter of the two victims of. And yet, but Sarah's the he's one the who one survived. who died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so what does that mean? Dumb people live better. Ah, whatever. <laughs> but no, Lindsay, I think you brought up a really interesting point about the second one that I think I'm now going to have to rewatch it and kind of look at it more of the lens of what's going on in his mind at that time than really just a movie as itself. I think that's a nice layer that you just developed. Yeah, and I think you see that, like, especially with the really bizarre hot tub scene, um, where at least I think he he was really confused with how he was going to move forward, and it, it just comes out in how bizarre some of that stuff is. So, should we go into favorite parts, scariest parts, least favorite parts, stuff like that? Okay. Um, for me... My, I think the scariest, no, not the scariest. Yep, the scariest. Uh, scariest part was right at the beginning where Sarah first meets Joseph slash Aaron slash Peach Fuzz slash whatever the hell his real name is. It could be like Bob. Um, and she agrees to kind of be his experiment. And he's like, okay, in order to begin, we have to kind of break down every wall that there is. And he just goes and gets naked. Um, you know, and usually when you see nudity in movies, it's breasts or female anatomy, but this movie just 
balls to the wall, quite literally. <laughs> you see all of Joseph slash Aaron slash Beach Fuzz. Um, and it's not just this little glimpse of nudity. It Again, it's that creepiness, this uncomfortable scene of nudity where he's just full buck naked in front of the camera and you just have to deal with it. And then you get another layer and poor little Sarah completely disrobes and standing in front of the camera for a good two to three minutes. And you just, you, you don't know what to do or say or think. I just, I think it really was creepy and intense and I, I loved it. And I thought that was actually a really cool choice um, with how that scene played out in that, you know, you do see uh peach fuzz in all of his glory um <laughs> but but when when sarah strips down he actually you know he he's then holding the camera and he actually zooms in on her face so you don't actually see her body you know that she's naked but like that's not the point of you know that uh, of the scene you know it wasn't to to have to see her nude it was that that um she had to bear herself to him and, and you know expose herself to him. It was not about that being captured on film. How about you, Lindsay? Your favorite part? Favorite part? Well, okay, I gotta throw it out there. I love the weird, mushy, like horror comedy romance thing. So of course I love when when they kiss. I'm I'm a girl. It just is what it is. But that isn't my favorite favorite part. Um, <laughs> I really liked. Um, the scene where you know he's bringing her out to to show her what he got her, and it's a grave, and I love, and again I think it's just so clever to connect it to the first movie. He, you know he gives her the the locket, but he didn't even take Aaron's picture out of it, and so she you know so he's given her a locket with his face and some random dude he murdered. Um, Again, I just that was the scariest moment as well. Just this like deliverance of, oh, this is a, a antique, not an antique, a relic of the last person I killed, and now it's yours. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And now we we get to go, you know, kill each other in, in the woods. Um, so I'd say that was my favorite part. I thought it was filmed really well. It, the for being so low budget to film like that in the woods is very very difficult. So. Um, no, I I really liked that part. Uh, my very favorite part was around the middle of the film where he's trying to convince her, you know, no, like I want you, I like literally do want you to kill me, and he he like lays down on the table and you know tries to uh, get her to, if I remember, it, chop his head off with with the, and with the hatchet uh, or the I guess axe from the first film. And you know she won't do it, and then he goes up on the upstairs and he's like, "Okay, like how about this? Instead of you actively killing me, how about you just don't save me?" And then he puts a noose around his neck and just jumps off the side, and just like he just does it. Uh, I loved how intense that scene was because she didn't believe he was going to do it, and. You know, he just totally. I mean, that that was kind of the scene where where she started to recognize that that things weren't quite as fabricated. It was a real encounter. She, yeah, yeah. Everything isn't as fabricated as as she has had believed up until that point. Um, and you know, and then he claimed afterwards, oh, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. No, I I didn't actually, like, I couldn't have actually died. Like, I had a, 
you know, thing protecting me or whatever, but, you know, that's nonsense. But I, I just really liked how much that really kind of made things more real for her and kind of was her first, like, real oh crap moment. Yeah, and then at that point, it really is her choice to stay. You know, it's she knows this is legit, but like like any artist, she's suffering for her for her art for her video, and so she makes that decision. Um, let's talk least favorite parts. Um, for me, I mean, like I've mentioned, I I, I kind of felt like this movie was a little disjointed. Like there were three subplots going on at the same time that I wish that they could have pulled together a little bit more cohesively like they did the first. However, Lindsay, now that you've kind of explained, you know, why you like kind of that disjointedness, I, I can get behind that that was poetic in a way that it, you know, it was kind of a glimpse into the psyche of this serial killer who, you know, in a way had multiple personality syndrome, you could say, or, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm sticking to my guns and saying that's <laughs> probably my least favorite. My least favorite part was probably just the very lengthy scene where he, you know he wanted to like stand in a river to symbolically be like giving his uh a, a monologue in the river and you know it's oh uh, yeah i forgot about that part but it's but it you know isn't high enough so he has to just like awkwardly like sit in this little creek bed and trying to present this information like I, I think that scene was mostly intended to be humorous in a lot of ways, but it was just to me it was just such a long scene that I kind of just went beyond what worked for me as a viewer, and I I I started getting bored honestly. Yeah, I have to agree that would probably be my my least favorite part as well. I don't think it added anything to the story, and I mean they did the whole wilderness hike and all that in the first movie I don't don't think it it was necessary to, to do again so I I have to agree that that that's a fast forward moment for me all right should we go into our screams and our crowns for creep two sure um so I gave it six screams it was still pretty scary for me um but definitely lost a little bit of the intensity that the first film had um, I would agree. I gave it a six as well. I think it still maintained, you know, a good sense of uncomfortability. Is that a word? Uncomfortableness. Uh, yeah, sure. English <laughs> major, Nathaniel. Um, but I, again, I, I felt like it was lacking something that that first one really honed in on. And uh, I, I feel kind of bad doing this again. I'm, I'm a harsh reader and it takes a lot to scare me. And so I, I did give this a four. But truly, I don't think it's supposed to be scary. I think it really is more of a psychological thriller. No, not even thriller. Just a psychological movie. Um, when she does have her face all taped up and jumps out of the dark, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I did get a jump out of that. So, so I, I will give it that. But yeah, I just I don't think it's necessarily a scary movie in a classical sense, but definitely. Gives you, gives you the heebie-jeebies. Okay, so that puts our average at 5.3. Um, now let's move on to crowns. I gave the movie a 7. I don't dislike it as much as Max did by any means. Um, as a whole, like my, my viewing experience was generally quite positive. Uh, like I, I, I like it, but I don't love it like I love the first one. 
I gave it a five. You know, I thought it was still a really great movie. Um, but again, I just, I wanted more from it. I, and that may have been my expectations. I was anticipating a lot more where I loved the first one so much. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I wasn't super fond of this movie as much as I was the first. I gave this one a seven. Um, I liked it more than the first. I'm sorry, Well, Matt. you rated the first one a seven, too, so do you really? <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm harsh, though, because, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of these movies, but, um, but I, I, I did like it better. The, the thing that really gives it high, high marks in my book is that, to me, it is a successful sequel to a found footage horror movie because I feel like that is almost impossible. So it just automatic marks just for that one thing. I couldn't get behind that. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, even though I do have certain qualms with the film, it worked better as a horror sequel than almost any other horror sequel I've seen with a you know very small handful of exceptions. And so, I mean, yeah, I felt like the fact that they pulled off making this fresh and, and interesting was very impressive. I really hope that they can make the third one fresh as well in some way. And the fact that they're doing it as a, as a trilogy, you know, gives me some hope, but we'll have to see how, how well that pans out. So let's talk about horror sequels and why do you guys think that they don't work most of the time? I think a lot of it is because much of what makes a horror movie scary is the fear of the unknown and that's usually kind of gone in a sequel. We, we we already know what to expect almost, you know, in every instance. And that's why I think this one does well because truly if it was another creep where it was just him following a new guy and kind of going through the same formula that the first one did, I don't I don't think it would have been as interesting as where he's put himself in this whole new environment. So, do you guys have other horror movie sequels that you appreciate or enjoy or think did a better job? Yes. Uh, what immediately comes to mind is, so, uh, for the Nightmare on Elm Street series, my very favorite is the third film, Dream Warriors. Um, I felt like it took the original premise and ran with it in a more interesting way. I also really enjoyed New Nightmare. I, I felt like that film also, in, in a lot of ways, was more successful for me um, than the original film. Uh, now, the rest of the sequels are kind of garbage in many ways, but, uh, <laughs> I but those that. ones really, really stand out to me. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they stayed decent until fi or New Nightmare, and then they just went wild. Yeah. Or, I mean, even, you know, like, number four I thought was just atrocious. So, I mean, it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with the Friday the 13th. There's only so many ways you can bring him back. Mm-hmm. My, one of my kind of sequels that kind of comes to mind is the Conjuring movies. Um, I loved Conjuring 1. I thought it was terrifying when I first saw it. I really loved what they did with kind of the demon and the possession and all of that. And then they brought the second one into it. And I, again, it was terrifying. It was great. It was just, they were both really solid movies. 
But I think those two worked really well because it was different stories on their own. You know, it wasn't a continuation of part one. Um, and it wasn't just the same thing over again. Right. Yeah. I mean, different scares and kind of how, what's the demon's name? Oh, Valak in the second movie was using another ghost as kind of a, uh, scapegoat and a front. And I, I don't know. I just, I thought they were both great movies, but again, they were kind of two different movies. And if you're just a spooky story fan, it's a good retelling of those, those stories, but of course more, more Hollywood, but I think it, it didn't go campy. Agreed. Yeah. I don't do campy very well. Campy and boo movies. I have a hard time with Max. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think also something that that's often a problem in a lot of um, sequels is just that like once it's an established franchise, they know that people are just going to keep coming back to it uh, regardless. For some reason, a lot of horror fans are are drawn to bad sequels like A Moth to a Flame. So you know they they just get sloppier with their budgets a lot of times, and yeah, it's just it's it's hard to make a successful sequel. When you're you know working on even less money than the minuscule budget of the original in, in many cases and i think a lot of times less is more it's i mean when you look at the evil evil dead series the first one or the first evil dead was made on a nothing budget but it was still terrifying you know you look at blair witch project it's one of the most successful horror you know found footage horror films there is and again made on a nothing budget but then when you go to blair witch Two, it's a just garbage pile of a movie, and I think it's because they, like you said, they had the established franchise, they had the notoriety from the first one, but in that case, they had more of a budget, so they just threw in as much as they they could, and it just made it not scary. Yeah, it did definitely lose a lot of its intensity. And I think it's it's poignant to bring up that um, Nathaniel and I, when we went to FearCon we kind of sat at this terrible, terrible, terrible panel about these people who were very adamant that a budget, if any horror movie has a budget, then it's going to be a terrible horror movie. Um, And I don't think that's the case. I think there are, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Strings kind of attached that it, it can go awry with the budget, but at the same time, you can also do a lot more as far as special effects go and scares and i think the conjuring is a good example of that it it did have a very good budget especially for the second movie and they still were able to produce a a good solid movie that's because james wan actually knows how to make a movie okay valid valid point (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's that's a little extreme to say because again i do think a lot of the best horror movies this panel, Lindsay, you would have been like shriveling in your seat. I was very uncomfortable, but I stayed the entire panel, as Nathaniel can attest. We were mostly just muttering angrily in the back, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like any any thing you're into. You know, there's anime snobs that think one way, and the rest of anime is terrible. It's, I think it's the same. Whereas, I like to think I have I like a wide variety of horror. Because I, I do like B-movies. I, I like camp, but I, I love it all. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, I don't mean to say that when movies have money, they automatically go bad. But I just, I think that is 
can be a factor in a lot of them. I agree. Yeah, well, because I think in many cases it's they're replacing actual like sincerity and you know wanting to make a good movie with just let's just throw money at it until it looks pretty. Yeah. Which doesn't work. Horror's always hard to find sequels of in general. I mean, even with books. I mean, Stephen King has a sequel to The Shining, but that's and and then his Dark Tower series, but that's about it. I don't know. It, it's just I I feel like so much of horror is very you know kind of in scare your audience and then get out, and so it's it's hard to to maintain that. But anyway, I think I don't know. I I don't really have much more to say on. The movies or, or even horror sequels unless uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add i do not i really enjoyed having you on Lindsay. it's been kind of a breath of fresh air having a third opinion you know most of the time nathaniel and i are pretty same same when it comes to our our feelings about horror movies so thank you so much yeah thanks for having i i love talking about this stuff so i really appreciate the invitation yeah we might have you on more yeah, I think we should definitely have like a horror anime uh, episode in the future, and we'll definitely have you back. I just have to give a shout out to you, probably the sister podcast that has given us the most support and most encouragement, and that is Monsters Out of the Closet. They are a wonderful podcast, and the creators are out in the East Coast. It's a beautiful horror podcast that does a lot of different horror stories. Um, the cool thing I like about them is they pull art from other horror fans and kind of recreate it for podcasts and so they do music they do poetry they do short stories uh, it's a really fun podcast you gotta go listen to it i am a voice actor for them and i've premiered on their first episode and again they're monsters out of the closet it's a horror themed podcast primarily focused at the lgbt community and then the other podcast that i do is called dysfunctional parenting it is a fun little podcast that I do with a friend about the struggles and challenges of being a parent living in a non-traditional type of a family. So definitely go check that one out, too. That's my little plug for my small business ventures in the world of podcasting. Um, oh, one other uh, thank you, of course, uh, to McCall Susis of Red Panda Designs uh, for our wonderful new logo. It's super awesome, and I absolutely love it. And I claim the skull with the eyeball, if anyone is wondering. <laughs> Lindsay, did you want to say anything um, to sum up about um, your chicken group on Facebook, about your panel at <laughs> Comic-Con or anything? We want to give you some networking as well while we're here. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you are a horror fan who also raises backyard chickens, <laughs> you will love my backyard chicken group on Facebook, uh, Facebook Utah Backyard Chicken Enthusiasts. And um, if you love anime, check out Salt Lake City Anime. It is our anime book club. Well, without any further ado, I have some gentlemen that I need to go stalk and kill. So I'm going to sign off. <laughs>